This is a special Sunday because we really wanted to highlight our, our children, and it's a good Sunday to do that, we really believe. Kids are really fun, are they not? I was reading the other day about this uh, parent and her child and the story about this spring. You know, as we come into spring, these storms are going to start coming, and there was this violent thunderstorm one spring night as the mother was tucking her child into bed, and his small boy was afraid and kind of with a tremor in his voice said to his mom as she was going to turn the lights out, she, he said, you know, Mommy, would you sleep with me tonight, please? And she came over and she gave him a reassuring hug and she said, I can't, dear. Um, I have to sleep in Daddy's room. And, and he was just kind of quiet for a moment. He goes, big sissy. <laughs> I thought that was really rather clever. Well, I want to share with you a message on Palm Sunday that is about that same story in Matthew 21. And sometimes to communicate a message, you need more than words. Sometimes words just don't do it. And I was doing a search on the Internet just thinking about some kind of ways to to illustrate that or think about that. And, And what came up were all these different love songs that were written that expressed the fact that words are often not enough. In fact, the words are not enough lyrics by a guy named Ace Frehley. Some of you may know Ace. And his his love song is about the fact that he wants really more than just words. The words are good. They express a lot. But he also wants that love shown. And he says, can't stop tossing and turning at night. It gets harder each day. Fighting with this feeling inside. You can swear that you love me by every star in the sky. But when you're close to me, you get that look in your eye, a burning feeling. You just can't disguise. Words are not enough to make me feel like a man in love. Well, you know, anyway. And then you get the other side of the equation. I'm reading through some of these songs, and here's this, this person who's, who's writing, saying, you know what, I'm tired of your words. I want some actions. I want you to show me that you love me. So P. Nyland and A. Carlson write this song. I think I heard about a thousand times or more. Don't you bother wasting time. You're telling me you're so much better than before. But I find it hard believing until you prove me wrong. If you really want my love, if I'm all you're dreaming of, you may find it tough because words aren't enough if you want my love. That's the cry of someone that says, I'm, I'm tired of just words. You can tell me all you want. You can even bring me the flowers with the words. Well, I want some changes in your actions. And then the group extreme, more than words. What if would you do if my heart was torn in two? More than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. Well, when you think about it, what I find interesting is I was processing this and thinking about this story of Jesus riding in on this cult. He says nothing. And then I began to think about it. And I realized that very last week, a lot of what happened, there were times where Jesus didn't say anything. It's almost if he said, I don't need to share any more words. I'm just going to start to demonstrate this. So it's just undeniable. So on a cross, he hangs. 
this innocent, loving, miraculous, healing, compassionate person is pinned to a cross. Says hardly anything but demonstrates his incredible love. There's a point in the trial. He stands before Pilate. He stands before Herod. He stands before his accusers. And they're angry because he says nothing. There is almost a sense that Jesus has said all that needs to be said now. Now he's saying, my silence is enough for you to have to deal with what's been said. I don't need to defend myself any longer with words. And at one point he pours out his heart as he's in a garden. It says in Scripture in Hebrews, it sighs and groans that words can't express. And then he enters Jerusalem, what we're talking about today, saying nothing. Yet in his actions saying everything. Everything as he humbly rode into this town on a donkey. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus spoke, yet saying nothing. I want us to think about what was it that was said. If we were to give words to this action of Jesus coming into town on this coal, what was he saying? And the message is really pretty simple. Palm Sunday is what I call an acted out parable. We forget that Jesus did not only claim to be a rabbi teacher, he did not only claim to be a the the highest of priests for his nation. He did not just claim, in one sense, to be a king. He also was a prophet. And so what Jesus did in in, in Palm Sunday was very common for, for what a prophet would do often. He would be given a message by God, and this message would be given, and God would say to the prophet, I don't want you to say anything. I want you to grab people's attention by more than words, but by some actions. And so you read through all kinds of different prophets. But I'll just give you some of the larger named prophets. Isaiah, at one point, is given a message. He's trying to tell the people of Israel not to put their trust in anyone but God and not even look to Egypt when the Assyrian army is coming towards them. And he says, what I want you to do, Isaiah, is I want you to walk stripped naked so your, your buttocks show. And I want you to walk barefoot as a way that people will look at you and they'll be wondering, what in the world is this crazy guy doing now? And so you read that in Isaiah chapter 20 because he wanted the people to see that this Egypt they might trust in would, would really be defeated by Assyria and they would be shamed, exposing themselves and, and they wouldn't be worthy of trusting in. Ezekiel. He tells Ezekiel, lay on your side for 390 days. Can you imagine that? He goes out and he lays on his side for 390 days on one side, and then he for another 40 days on the other side. And the whole purpose of this is to say, every day you do this, it stands for one year of the people's sin, 390 years of sin. As people are watching this prophet, they're, saying, they're looking at Ezekiel and they're going, this guy's kind of crazy. Every day for 390 days. What a message. Didn't have to say much. And Jeremiah, God tells him, I want you to tell the people they're going to come under the slavery of another people. And so I want you to build a yoke out of wood. And you take this yoke and you put this yoke on your neck. And I want you to walk around with this yoke and wear it on your neck so that when people look at you, they're kind of going, what in the world is this guy doing? And the message will be loud and clear. 
And so Jesus, the prophet, enters Jerusalem riding a colt, the foal of a donkey, doing just like what other prophets had done. He didn't say, need to say one word. By his walking, riding in on this donkey, he was saying everything that needed to be said to those people. In fact, chapter 21 of, of Matthew, the very last two verses, says the whole city, when they saw him come in, they were stirred and they asked, who is this? And isn't it interesting... Often he's called a rabbi or a teacher. Their answer is this. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus knew this was a time for more than words. In the spirit of a universal love song, knowing that words aren't enough, he acted out this message. And he said the first thing is this. The very first thing this acted out message said to these people, and it was loud and clear to them, is that your king is here. This king that you've been waiting for, this king in the line of David, this king that you've been praying about, this king that you've heard and read about through all the prophets is here in your midst right now. You may hear from time to time that Jesus didn't claim to be a king. He didn't claim to be the son of God. He didn't claim to be the Messiah. He, he was, it's just nonsense. Because scripture is very clear. You can't read this without, with, with the eyes of someone who comes with a Hebrew mindset and not see that he was saying this. We don't think of kings today. We think of CEOs and presidents and superintendents and, and, and people who have kind of that authority and power that, you know, when they call you into their office, you get a little bit nervous if you're not supposed to be called in, possibly. But Jesus was claiming to be a king who had ultimate authority and power, not just over the nation Israel, but over the whole realm of the universe. He was claiming to be a king over your hearts, my heart. And so as he comes in, it's very interesting that Jesus was making this very clear. You have to realize that he planned this message. He thought this thing through. You know, I take time to think through these messages. You may not think so at times, but I really do. I think through and, and prepare months in advance, and then as, as the week comes closer, and then on that week I, I give lots of time to it, and I try and put it together in a way that will make some sense. Jesus for the three years of his ministry, I think, was praying and preparing and planning for the day that he would come into Jerusalem and he would make this statement so crystal clear that no one could deny that he was claiming to be your king. Your life leader. The one that he comes and he says, surrender and, and, and open your heart to me and begin to walk in obedience to my word and to, to the, the suggestions of my Holy Spirit in your life and through the word of God, which will help you set a course that will bless your life. He says, I want to do that for you. It's time to give up being your own king. It's time to, to recognize there's someone in a higher authority, someone in a place that wants to lead you and guide you and, and loves you and wants to bless you. And so he comes in with this very thoughtful, prepared mind. And I'll show you in verse 21, verses 2 and 3, the instructions were prearranged. This was not some off-the-cuff kind of thing. He says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Well, Luke gets even a bit more clear and expresses it even with greater clarity. He says, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. It was all prearranged. And as they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples did just what he said. The Lord needs it. And they kind of must have went, oh, okay. 
See, Jesus had thought about this announcement for you and for me, for the people in that day. As he entered in, he wanted to make it clear that this was no accident, no last-minute creative idea. It's not done on a whim. It was purposeful and intentional. And even the, the, the instructions, as you look at this passage of Scripture, were prearranged. And then note the prophecy. Zechariah, verses 4 and 5. He's quoting Zechariah. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This was a prophetic word that the people would have known in their day. They were looking for the king who would come and save them from Rome. So their eyes and their ears were peaked and in tune with what they were looking for. And they wanted this king. So that Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus had actually thought this through. Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, says Zechariah, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus left no stone unturned. He knew that through his life he would fulfill prophetic words. And he didn't just do it accidentally. Just like he put the instructions in place to go get that colt, in the same way he knew that when he walked in, he would be fulfilling the word that these people knew that was going to be spoken of the king to come. And he was saying, here I am. And then if you note the place Jesus chose, even that had intentionality to it. He could have chosen a whole bunch of different gates to come through. He could have come through the south gate, the west gate, the north gate. He could have come through the southwest gate, the northeast gate. He didn't. Jesus, the Messiah King, came riding, riding in from the east over what he chose to do, Mount of Olives. Zechariah predicted that's where the king would come riding on a colt. And in fact, in chapter 14.4, just a little bit further in Zechariah, he writes, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. A prophetic word that, that Matthew doesn't contain or put in here, but the people knew. And then note the timing of this message. Not only were the instructions prepared, not only was it fulfilling prophecy, not only the place that he was coming from as he came from the east pointed to the fact the king is here. The timing of when he did this was significant. He knew exactly this was the right day in which to do this. It was Passover. And many people were, were present from all over Israel. And they were coming from many different cities to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, that incredible ceremony of celebration of freedom and liberation of the people of Israel, who, when God, through Moses, led them out of Egypt and through the sea and, 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 and gave them the commandments and the laws and, and through the wilderness brought them to this promised land, this was the day they were all coming to celebrate. One Roman governor, about 30 years after this event, prior to Jerusalem being sacked by the Romans, he, he took a census of the lambs slain in Jerusalem during the Passover, and he estimated there were about one quarter million lambs slaughtered, which meant there were practically two and a half million people in Jerusalem and surrounding towns, which is just unheard of in those days. They didn't have the facilities, the abilities to handle even that many people, so they scattered throughout the towns. And Jesus knew this was significant. Because the Passover was the time when the people for years and years and years and years were waiting for the new king to come. So everything's in place. And then you just have to note this. For anyone who ever says, yeah, Jesus was a good man. He liked to teach some good things about love. That's what Jesus was all about. No, he wasn't. Jesus was coming saying, the king's here. 
And you can, you can, you can confirm it by the way that people reacted. Look at these verses here, verse 6 to 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And then he says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him, and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna, which in the Hebrew is a word of praise that you would use for a king that would say, save us, son of David. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A quote from Psalm 118, which was very clear to the people when they were speaking this out. They knew they were speaking a messianic psalm because just a few verses before these words, blessed is the name, is one who comes in the name of God. It says there is one who will come, a stone that will be rejected by the builders. And it says, oh Lord, save us. Blessed is one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say it again, save us, Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus answered, the whole city was stirred. Their reaction was very clear. As they spread cloaks, they took palm branches and they spread them out before him. And to understand this, you need to know that was a very common way people would respond when the king would approach. Or when they were announcing a new king. In fact, if you go back into the Old Testament... We read in, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, that when Yehu was anointed to be the king over Israel, when they, when they were making it quick so that they could anoint him to be the next king, they were trying to do it very quickly um, in order that he could be established as the king. Verse 13 of 2 Kings 9 reads, The people suddenly and quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him and on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Yehu is king. That's what was happening that day. Jesus didn't say one word, but everybody got the message. It was clear by their reactions. It was clear by all that Jesus did that he was standing before all the people. He's standing before all history and time. He's standing before the whole universe. He's standing before you today, and he's, he's saying, the king is here. And what's your relationship to him in your heart? Have you ever said, King Jesus, I just want to submit my heart and life to you. I want to bow my knee before you. I want you to be the one who rules over my life. Maybe the word king isn't a good one for you. You know, we all have coaches and life leaders or things like that, you know. This is the ultimate life leader. And he's saying before you, I want to come and lead your life. And you may be just wrestling with that. And you may have never come to the place, or maybe you're in this place right now where you've been leading your life. And you're kind of saying like that country singer says, Jesus, take the wheel. It's it's time for you to take the wheel. I've been driving my life and... And I've been trying to do this, and as a result of it, things are not working well in my marriage. Things are not working well in my family. I've been trying to drive the wheel of my life with regard to my career, and it just keeps careening off the side. I don't get it. Jesus, I keep trying to, to drive the wheel and hold the wheel of my life and steer it, and I'm just, I, today, I'm going to ask you to take the wheel. I want you to be king. And then, as you go on, here's what I also think is really wonderful about what Jesus has to do here and say. As I was preparing this, 
the king is here, and here's what he says. This is really crucial. And my kingdom has come. When the king comes, he brings a kingdom, and his kingdom is, is a, a crusade, not some kind of holy war, not some kind of middle-aged nonsense. It is, it is a holy crusade of God's sacrificial love, a willingness to put himself in a position to do whatever it would take so that you would know that he loves you and wants to be engaged in your life. He has not come to, to create, um, uh, he, doesn't want, he hasn't come to shame you, he's not coming to lay guilt on you. The only reason that you feel guilt is in order to stop doing what's wrong so that he can begin to come into your life and enter into your life. And when you admit that, he wants to just come in and, and walk with you and, and talk with you and, and, and in all parts of your life, he wants to be engaged in a way to bring you his love. And so, Jesus stands and he says, the king's here and I brought my kingdom. And what's so amazing about this message again is, is the incredible humility of this one you serve. He's not some pompous, arrogant boss who stands over you, lording their power over you, making you cower in fear because they want to make you do the things that, that, that give them a sense of just weird pleasure. That's not our God. He's so humble. In fact, the message is so clear. That's why we read in verse 4 and 5, it says Matthew, he, he basically leaves out even the words. In, in Zechariah 9, 9, the words are also in there that he's just and victorious, or he comes just with salvation. It's this idea, not only is he a king who is, is humble, but he's this king who is great and mighty. But Matthew purposely leaves it out in order to emphasize these words. Look, the Lord your king comes to you gentle. Meek, meaning he has all the power in the world to make you stop doing what you're doing right now or, or to, to make you do something that you think, well, I don't know. He has all the power in the world to force your will. But he doesn't. Because he's gentle and he's meek and he's humble. And he treats every person with respect. And he comes to them and he woos them and, and draws them and, and desires for them to know how much he, he cares for them and loves them. And then it, it tells us that he not only comes humbly, but he comes with peace. If you read Zechariah 9 and just go one more verse past what he quotes here. Verse 10 says, I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem and he will proclaim peace to the nations. Meryl Tenney, in the Dictionary of the Bible, states that kings most commonly, when they would ride into a, a city, especially a city that was in rebellion, a city that was standing in, in rebellion against them, they would come in on this huge war horse in order to let the people know that he was in control and in charge, and he would come with the army behind them in all its color. But when a king was, was riding into a town in a village and he was proclaiming peace and he was saying, I want relationship with you. And it's not that I've come to overcome you, to make war against you, but I've come be, to be in, in right relationship with you. He would ride in on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's what Jesus does. He comes to this rebellious people and he says, guess what? I have come here to bring you peace. And then the last is very clear to the people that he came with sacrificial love. I mean, I'm amazed at the courage of Jesus Christ and his incredible love in the light of all the consequences that were before him. He had predicted his agony. He knew he'd be tortured. He knew that he would be 
stood up against these people and accused, he knew that he would face death. He knew they aimed to kill him. He knew all these things. He knew all this stuff, yet in complete gentleness and humility, he came still riding into the city saying, I want peace. I want to walk with you. I'm asking you to submit and surrender your will to me. And he acts one more time out of unconditional love. He reaches out one more time in grace and says, I have come to you in order that you can just come before me and and repent and turn and and I will walk with you. And he, he, he acts this out as he walks in on this donkey walks through the rest of the week to a cross. And what amazed me when I put this together is that there are times and occasions when words just aren't enough. There are times you have to truly be thinking about what you do in order to act out in unconditional loving ways towards someone else what they need to feel. Where you begin to start thinking, how do I show this person love that they will feel? There are some times when you just, it's not just words are not enough, but but people are tired of hearing words. I really believe in many ways we live in a Christian, almost post-Christian age here in this country where people have heard the message of Christ. They've heard people standing and shouting out and holding placards, and they've heard all this, and they're tired of words. And there are people around you. I'm not talking about crowds. and I'm talking about people who work next to you, people who live next to your home. There's people that you maybe go to a fitness center and work out and get to know, or maybe people at school, or kids that you know at school, or parents of kids that you know at school. I could just keep naming the different places. There are individuals that God has placed around you that He's asking you to think about not just words, but how do you act in ways that, that cause them to go, why, why are you doing this? What is this about you? And it may not be a one or two actions. It may be ten years of a life of living where you unconditionally love an individual. And so as we kind of end this service and this message, I just want to ask you to think about it for a second. What are areas that are in your life right now? Is there a person? Is there a place? Is there an occasion Where God is saying, just like Jesus walked in and he acted out a message of of incredibly humble, sacrificial love, offering peace, that he's calling you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Palm Sunday, this day that you came and you said through your son, Jesus, the king's here and you have brought your kingdom, a kingdom full of power and mercy and grace and humility And you have called us to live that way, to walk that way, to talk about it, to speak about it. But God, there are times when you're saying, more than words, I'm asking you to be quiet and just act this out. Lord, thank you. We ask that you would be working in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name.
Amen.